We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Danny Gray is in there at the running back spot, but Purdy takes an A, and they'll run out the final 17 seconds. The San Francisco 49ers trailed at the half but exploded in the final 30 minutes and have knocked off the Seattle Seahawks 41 to 23 to advance to the next round of the playoffs. Jacksonville was down 27 to nothing. And here we go. Madison, the snapper. Cook, the holder. Patterson sweeps the leg. 36 yard attempt. It is good! <laughs> Jacksonville wins it. The Jaguars down 27 points come from behind. The roar of the Jaguars is real. Allen takes a knee and that will do it. The Buffalo Bills have advanced to the second rounds, the divisional rounds of the NFL playoffs with a hard-fought 34-31 victory over the Miami Dolphins. Three games this year, all three have been tremendous. It's third and 12, going to an E is Jones. The clock ticks, we're inside 30 seconds, the benches will empty, the crowd is stunned, stunned in downtown Minneapolis as the players and coaches meet at midfield. A 13-win season for the Vikings is all for naught. And the nine-win New York Giants have gone on the road and won in this one, 31-24. Huntley lines up under center, goes airborne. Did he get the ball knocked out? He did! It's grabbed by the Bengals, racing back down the field. Sam Hubbard to the 50, down to the 40. He's at the 30. Hubbard to the 20. He's going to go all the way. Touchdown, Bengals. And now it's time for Zach Zaidman and Tom Thayer on 670 to score. Always live on the free Odyssey app. In for Molly and Ha on this Monday morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. What a weekend of football. An unbelievable weekend, and we're going to break it all down. Yeah, we'll get to the Bears, but I don't want to do one of those shows where we talk about how this relates to the Bears based on what we saw in the playoffs because the Bears are so far away from being a playoff team, it's not fair to have that discussion. But you can learn a lot of things from watching these playoff teams, which I think hold true no matter where you are in the National Football League. Hi, everyone. Alongside the 85 Bear, Tom Thayer. I'm Zach Sademan. So happy to have you with us. We're broadcasting live from the Score Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. We'll be taking your phone calls throughout. Want to introduce our executive producer, Leo Stadahar, who will be helping us blast through the speakers of your radio all morning long until 10 o'clock. 
Kevin Fishbane, who covers the Bears for The Athletic, will join us at 745. Kevin Warren's press conference is tomorrow at Hallis Hall. It's our first opportunity to hear from the former Big Ten commissioner now that he takes over as the main man at Hallis Hall. Who is this guy? We'll find out from one of his former stops Minnesota Vikings radio analyst Pete Bursich will join us at 8.20. And then, fresh off Cubs convention, Ron Coomer will join us at 9 o'clock. Cubs continue to make moves this weekend, so plenty of baseball talk coming up later on this morning. But, Tom, good morning to you. It's a pleasure to be uh, talking some football with you. And I would venture to guess this is, at least in recent memory, the best wild card weekend we've had in the National Football League in a long, long time. Yeah, you know, there's a couple different ways you look at this as an ex-player. So I've had all the experiences of success throughout the playoff run and know how exciting it is. Mm -hmm. So I know the disappointment of all the losing teams. And whether you lose at home like the Minnesota Vikings or you lose on the road and you're traveling back on on the plane trying to catch up with every guy knowing that after the exit physicals, you're you're out of there. Um and I and I wish that the uh, Tampa uh, Dallas game was already played, to, you know, because I think that would give us some more fun of a topic to talk about. Mm-hmm. Considering all the elements that are going to be a factor in the playoff scenario and the NFL landscape, depending upon how that game goes. Um, but it was an un- overwhelming amount of football throughout the weekend. It was awesome to sit there and um, watch, but. I also, as the uh, bitter broadcaster in me, I wish that I was at a game in the Bear. We are talking about the Bears playing in a playoff game, and it's you know so far removed from the Bears' record to the records of some of these teams. I'm shocked, but um, you know when I look at the Vikings getting beat um, by the Giants yesterday. And those are two teams that the Bears could have and should have beat at, in the end, um, not at the end of the season when they got beat by the Vikings, but earlier. And, you know, what, did Vikings fall to the fact that it was a less than impressive division other than the way Detroit came up at the end of the year? And did that factor in in the Giants going into, uh, you know, the Viking Stadium and beating them? And, there, they, you know, there's a lot that, you know, so many things happened in these games that uh, – I wish Tua would have played for the Dolphins. Would that have changed the outcome of that game? Um, I can't believe that uh, Brandon, Brendan Staley, the head coach of the Chargers, allowed those guys to go and take it on the chin after they were leading twenty-seven to nothing. So All right, let's do let's do this then. Let's let's start with the most recent game and then work our way back right. and get your your quick thoughts on each one. I think that's the best way to handle it. 312-644-6767. Then we'll have you guys join us and we'll talk even more football. The The last game last night, Sunday night game, between Baltimore and Cincinnati. You know, I wish Lamar Jackson was playing and, and you heard J.K. Dobbins, the running back for the Ravens, say after the game, if Lamar plays, we win this game. He didn't play and they didn't win. But I don't believe they win that game with Lamar. I just think Cincinnati is a better team and can do more things and can handle more football adversity than Baltimore. And the Bengals won. But it wasn't Joe Burrow with the game-winning touchdown. It was the Bengals' defense so underrated coming up huge as it looked like Tyler Huntley was going to put Baltimore ahead, reaches out, 
on a quarterback sneak, yep. goes up in the air, Walter Payton style, gets the ball knocked out of his hands. It's picked up by a defensive lineman. He goes back 98 yards for a touchdown ball game. Well, then they should call that play quarterback obvious. Because a quarterback sneak is when you take the center quarterback exchange, you kind of take a hesitancy step, see where your crease opens up, and then you dive low into that spot. When you jump over the top and you have all these second-level guys coming at you, immediate response, until that ball crosses the plane, they're going to try to whack, whack it out of the hands of the quarterback, and that's exactly what we saw. I think the the – Probably the guy that was the happiest after this game and Lamar not playing was the defensive coordinator of the Bengals. But is it, because it's hard formulating a defensive game plan against Lamar Jackson because his ability to ad lib at an instant's notice and turn pressure into uh, a first down or a touchdown run, you know, that does present some difficulty for the opponent, whether you're on the road or at home. And I'm disappointed in everything that's went on with Lamar and now some of the narratives that you're trying, you're starting to hear about him. They didn't even bring him on the game, which is really kind of unheard of. You know, he's gone to every other away game and then they did, they don't bring him to this one. Now, does that mean there's such a mixed message inside that locker room that he's more detrimental to the message and the success of the team inside the locker room as when he's not playing that he is to the team when he's playing? So I hope Lamar gets things settled no matter where it is, because there is no guarantee at this point that it is going to be back with the Baltimore Ravens. Um, but <clears throat> You know, Joe Burrow is an amazing cat. You know, he's got offensive linemen that... Three I mean, of them injured. Right, and and they look like I could still play better than some of them. And Joe Burrow, as he's avoiding pressure immediately every time he calls a pass, and, you know, Baltimore did a nice job. However, uh, Joe Burrow, I think he proved it his last year at LSU um, after he came back from the knee injury and up into the point of the game last night. And, you know, the, the, the kid is a heck of a quarterback, but I still wish Lamar was in that game because I think it would have been an entirely different defensive game plan by the Bengals because now you have a quarterback that you say, okay, if we get pressure on him, he's got a bad shoulder. So let's try to get some hits to him to see if now they have to use their third quarterback. And, uh, you know, but when it comes down to it, it was a 94-yard fumble return that allowed the Bengals to win the game. So it was a heck of a game. And, you know, such a destructive play that was only going to probably cover maybe one foot to the point that it failed in the one foot and went 94 yards the other way. And we can layer this going forward a number of different ways. For example, now Cincinnati has to go to Buffalo. And you know that they've been kind of classy about it after what happened with DeMar Hamlin. Right. And they, you know they're upset with the NFL's decision to not give them an opportunity to have home field advantage. Right. But they believe, and especially before Hamlin went down, Cincinnati looked fantastic. It was a brief brief little point in that game because it was about five minutes. Right. But they were dominating that football game against Buffalo. You know in their minds they feel they're a better football team than the Bills. But now they have to go to Buffalo and play that game next week. We'll get to that in a sec. Meanwhile... You've got Baltimore, and you talked about it. Lamar Jackson not even on the trip with the Ravens. Right. He's a free agent. Yes, the Ravens can tag him. They probably will if they can't reach a long-term agreement. But is he their long-term answer at quarterback? I, I think when you have a guy 
that's your franchise, not with the franchise, in a playoff game. And, and I'm not talking about the injury. I'm not going on the whole Michael Vick riff where Vick ripped him for not playing, said, hey, strap up the knee and, uh-huh. and get out there. I think you get into a dangerous area when you start questioning whether a guy's really hurt or not or all that kind of stuff. But I do think it's curious that your franchise isn't with the franchise for a playoff game in any capacity. That makes you think something is up in terms of the relationship between player and team. Well, what if, if they do franchise him, you know, over $40 million, they're going to have to pay him for the one year, more than he's made in his career so far. But what happens if the same issue presents itself next year? And he goes, hey, I'm on a franchise tag. They're going to, they, my money's guaranteed with, you know, one way or the other. So if I do have some type of injury setback like he's facing this year with his knee, is he going to pull the plug on the season again next year and say, hey, you guys are only franchising me. You're not negotiating with me. So this is it. And let me run this by you because this is where I think the league has changed a little bit from the time that you played. The number one difference is free agency and the money, right? It's completely different today than back in the day of the 85 Bears. And I bring that up because I remember at the tail end of my NFL reporting life, in the locker room, players would say that you know they, they, there's a lot of pressure on you to go out there and play hurt. But what happens is when it's time to negotiate, the teams don't reward you for playing hurt. If you don't play as well because you're banged up, it hurts you because what do you, what do you always say? The eye in the sky doesn't lie. Right. But it doesn't tell the whole story if the guy's hurt or not. And if you so the the thing that people would tell me is no tape, meaning the video, no tape is better than bad tape when it comes to contract negotiations. And if injuries prevent you from being at your best, this is this is part of the struggle that the players have, part of the issue that players have when it comes to contract negotiations with teams. You know, every single player that I've ever talked to that went in and tried to negotiate their own contract, and I've talked to a few of them, it's that are you willing to sit up there and accept all the negative criticism that they're going to tell you about yourself to make sure that it's a negotiated figure? If Lamar walked in and since he's negoti- or he's representing himself, if they just sat there and said everything that he was able to accomplish in his short career, then yeah, you, let's pay him. Guarantee you, that's that's it. But they got to sit there and they got to tell him that oh, he's been hurt. He doesn't read these defenses well. He's had these. Uh, you know, a certain amount of games that have been unproductive instead of being a quarterback that is, you know, he has superstar written all over him that doesn't do it week in and week out. So that's a difficult part of it too, is when you go in there and start negotiating for yourself about yourself and you hear some of the truth that maybe they would tell an agent, then you get, you better have some thick skin because I've talked to a lot of guys who've walked out of those negotiations feeling bad about themselves than they did feeling, well, this is the right decision I'm making. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, baseball players when they talk about the arbitration process is you go in there and you have a high number, play, the, the team has a lower number, and you're listening to your team, the guys that are supposed to love you, tell you everything that's wrong about right. you. And psychologically, it's... It's a big deal. I mean, it can definitely impact you. And, yeah, you can say, well, you can't th- take things personal. But you do. How could you not? If, if you hear your boss telling you, 
well, you don't do this, this, and this. But, yeah, but I helped you do this, this, and this, right? Right. I mean, it is an issue. All right, let's continue the uh, the NFL game here. So then you had Minnesota and the Giants, and the Giants pull up the upset. The Vikings were 11-0 and this season in one-score ball games. Now 11-1 and and out of the playoffs. 11-0 and in one-score games means that you could get beat as likely as you could winning the game. It wasn't a sense of accomplishment by the Vikings. It was more of a strategy to hold on until the clock runs out. And I don't I don't you know necessarily wouldn't call it an upset that the Giants went in and beat the Vikings. I thought it was really an evenly matched game um, between these two teams. And as much of an advantage as that crowd was giving the Minnesota Vikings early in the game, Mm -hmm. when the Giants were able to answer the Vikings that first drive and go down and score and the the noise really didn't matter to them, that really tells you a little bit about what the Giants are capable of doing no matter what the environment is going to offer you. So um, I do think it was an evenly matched football game and the Giants' Daniel Jones has kind of proved to the Giants that this is a guy that you better reinvest in because he's a hell of a player. He's got great ball deception in the backfield. He's got the desire and the willingness to run, and he's got arm talent, and he's a super intelligent kid. So I think he's got a bright future with the Giants. Okay, I couldn't help but watch the way the Giants were operating and then bring it back here because I think the the situations are very similar. In New York, you had a first-year coach. That was a team that was supposed to be in year one of a rebuild, right? And yet they ended up in the playoffs and now have a playoff victory and they're advancing to the divisional round. They have a quarterback who's very athletic, who can run and also throw, but the passing game over the course of his career never materialized until this year. Explain to me why that team was able to take off. What did Brian Dayball bring to the Giants from a scheme standpoint, how did he get the best out of Daniel Jones? And then you compare that to some of the issues that the Bears had this year, the inability to get that kind of production from the quarterback. Well, if you look back at the Giants, Joe Judge created a really toxic atmosphere, fighting with his position coaches, making changes at a, at a moment's notice, having a locker room that the guys were talking about how self-destructive they are rather than how they're getting better. They had a head coach that was walking around with this tough guy grin when he wasn't really contributing anything to the betterment of the football team. Then he goes and he makes the um, New England Patriots look equally as bad this year as what he did to the Giants last year. So just the change of the message that you get from the top on down. And I I don't disagree with anything Matt Eberflus has done this year in terms of his message to the team because he keeps saying that all we're doing this year is we're building a foundation to build upon in the future. And I do think they have those capabilities. I think with Judge before they got Brian Dayball, I don't think he had any chance to succeed because there was guys looking to jump ship in the and the Giants instead of wanting to re-sign there. In Brian Dayball, if you go ever look at some of the post-game locker room atmospheres, you know you could see the the brotherhood, the camaraderie, just the fun that everybody was having. And it, I, I think, it makes your work life better. It, it makes you happier to walk into work every day. And then they also, rather than judging his guys criticizing Daniel Jones for his future, Brian Dayball realized that he had 
the mental capacities of a quarterback that can ingest a lot of information and improve throughout time. And I think that's exactly what he's showing you up into this moment. And when the Bears were playing the Giants, the little things that Daniel Jones was able to do, like I talked about his deceptiveness in the backfield, his RPO mannerisms where he fooled the defense completely, got edge rushers out of position, then he was able to carry it in for multiple quarterback bootlegs. So I, I just think that the, the coach really changed the working atmosphere and the guys bought into it. Right, because when you look at the New York Giants, yes, they have Saquon Barkley, an excellent running back, but the Bears have terrific yep. running backs as well. And then I, I challenge you, if you had not watched that game yesterday, most people listening could not name any of the Giants receivers or tight ends. So it's not like they're taking the field with all these glorious weapons around Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is the weapon. Saquon Barkley is the weapon. Very and the coach is the weapon, and and that's something that I I think when you you look at the Bears going forward, you can build this thing a lot faster than people say, but it involves the quarterback being able to take the next step and the coaching staff helping him do that. Three one two six four four sixty seven sixty seven. Got to take a quick timeout. When we come back, are you concerned about Josh Allen? Yes, the Bills won. Oh. Yes, Josh Allen looks amazing. But there are also times where he makes you want to throw stuff at the television. Ah. We'll discuss next. Zach Saidman, Tom Thayer with you until 10 o'clock on The Score. Selling a little or a lot? (laughs) Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we get it attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on netflix but what do people do with their ears well for one they're listening to audio americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day oh and you want the proof well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Zach Zaidman and Tom Thayer on 670 The Score and Odyssey Station. 
A special Monday treat in for Molly and Haw. We're here until 10 o'clock. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Coming up at 745, we talk Bears with the Athletics' Kevin Fishbane. At 820, who is this new guy, Kevin Warren? We'll get an inside look from Vikings color analyst on radio, Pete Bursich. And Ron Coomer will break down what transpired this weekend at Cubs convention and all the new moves that the Cubs have made. There's a lot to discuss. That's coming up at 9 o'clock. But we've been talking football this morning, Tom, and just breaking down systematically what transpired this weekend in the NFL. Just a great wild card weekend Uh, If you missed the first segment, we talked about the Bengals and the Ravens and the Giants and the Vikings, and we're just talking football, adding how it relates to the Bears, if it's appropriate, and uh, just having some fun. So uh, you can join us (laughs) as well. Let's get to the Buffalo game. Uh, They had a much tighter than expected ball game against Miami. They eke it out and come up with the victory. But the reason... I bring up the concern about Josh Allen that I did right before the break is there are times when you watch him and he is the most entertaining player in the National Football League. He is so special with the ball in his hands, with his ability to run, his his ability just to, to smash into guys like he's a linebacker, right, and not care. His ability to make throws off his back foot that no one in the game can make. And then... He'll make these decisions where you just scratch your head and wonder, come on, man, you're playing for a Super Bowl. What are you doing? What what stands out to you when you watch him? Sometimes how easy he makes the game look. Where he, at a flick of a wrist, he can throw a 50-yard lofted football to allow the receiver to track it for multiple steps and be able to run underneath it, and Josh makes it look so easy. But it is those things where he has so much confidence in himself, he doesn't believe there's a play he can't make. And so when you see those mistake plays, a bad decision, uh, too small of a window to throw into, like the first touchdown to the Knox, the tight end, Mm -hmm. where there was no way he should have thrown that play. And then Knox reaches out with his right hand, tips it back to himself, and is able to control it. It's those types of thinking. So if it was a defensive back that had better awareness, it would have probably been an intercepted ball in the end zone. And then we all would have been scratching our head like, what the hell are you doing, Josh? (laughs) Rather than saying, oh, my God, what a throw he made to a window that was already closed, and then the tight end did a great job of catching it. And that's something you're going to have to live with Josh Allen. And I'm not going to say live and die because Josh Allen's a good football player. You're going to live more than you're going to die from games. But um, I think when you look at what Josh Allen is able to do, you don't ever want to take that confidence away from him. You want him to have that type of freedom that he's been blessed with, whether it's a exterior, an outside quarterback run or it's a, a throw to a receiver that may be covered, but you think that you can put it into a position where he can make the catch. And and that's what I, I was writing some notes when thinking about this show. And um, I think, you know, early in the game, he just had a flick of the wrist, 50 or 60 yarder. And I'm just thinking of quarterbacks who – everything's got to be perfect in order for them to throw a ball that precisely with that distance, with that elevation. And, and, but he, he just does it, you know, on an instance notice. So, uh, you know, with Josh and it, you know, 31, 34, 
I'm really impressed with the co- the coach at Miami. He's done a nice job. Of, Mike McDaniel. Yeah, yeah, he's done a nice job with really turning that team around, gaining a lot of self-confidence. He doesn't have this rah-rah yelling at type of personality. He's analytical, and he, he's a well-thought talker, which I like about him, even to the sideline interviews he does to whomever's covering the game. But – Getting back to Josh Allen, he's special. And you don't, again, you don't want to take anything away from him. You want him to be able to develop and earn the freedom that he's been gifted with. And the thing that I keep asking myself, and you said it, you want him to play freely, right? right? But you can't play that way this week with Joe Burrow coming in and expect to win if you're giving the ball away. You can't play. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and give the ball away and expect to win. So how do you get the most out of Josh Allen and limit the damage that could potentially cost you a trip to a Super Bowl? Well, you know, you go and you look at the Dolphins and you look at their defense and you look at where their vulnerabilities lie and then you try to attack accordingly. So now when they get – they. You know, Buffalo last night, I guarantee you, the coaches probably stayed around the facility and started breaking down some tape of their next opponent um, when they when they understood who it was going to be. And then they do the same thing. Where, do, where are the vulnerabilities of the Bengals? So when we went to that game a couple weeks ago when DeMar Hamlin had that incident, um, what was our game plan going to look at there? Because we are a team that was on the road, and so we needed to formulate a game plan that we could communicate Communicate at the line of scrimmage, make the adjustments we needed to make, analytically what type of coverages do they run, and then when we look at all the type of uh, computer-type stuff that goes along with the football game, when you actually start watching tape, where are they vulnerable? Where can we run the ball? Where is the point of attack at the line of scrimmage? What defensive back can we attack the most? And where, what, on our receivers, where do we best fit along against that, what we're going to see. You know what's fascinating when you watch the Bengals? They remind me a lot of the, the Patriots when they were at their best with, with Bill Belichick, is you never know what kind of defense to prepare for because it was game-specific. Right. You know, you, you're not preparing for a style. You don't know what they're going to throw at you on that day in that situation. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. You know, they're super fortunate the Bengals are to have a quarterback like Joe Burrow that you can make multiple changes during the course of a preparation week. But then when you have the on the defensive side of the ball, you know, they have a, a certain amount of talented guys where they can put you in different positions on the offensive line, on the defensive line, and try to take advantage of a, maybe a disadvantage that they think you have on the offensive line. But I think the bagel, the Bengals do a nice job. Um, there, uh, what's Zach Taylor's the yeah. coach's name? You know, not intimidated to go into an environment and and bring a, a guy like Joe Burrow, who's got more self confidence than uh, you know most of the league. And so, you know, I, I think they're going to go back and they're going to revisit the game plan from a couple weeks ago, and then see how it factors in on this week. It'd be interesting. If you watch the Buffalo's first 15 plays, because they, they script however many plays the offensive coordinator for every team, however many plays they script, go back and watch the opening plays this week and then go back and look at the opening plays of the game a couple weeks ago. Right, are they following a similar script? And if they are, then they have this, they have 
what they expected from the game a couple weeks ago, they had the same expectations this week. Yeah, Ken Dorsey has done a really nice job mm-hmm. as right. Buffalo's offensive coordinator now that Dayball is the head coach in New York. All right, let's look at it from a Miami standpoint because you talked about Mike McDaniel. And remember last year when Brian Flores was fired, there were people scratching their heads wondering, well, I mean, they, they've done a nice job with Flores. How can you fire him? He didn't believe in the quarterback. Right. And the Dolphins organization, specifically the general manager, Chris Greer, felt as though Tua was a much better player than he had shown under the previous coach who didn't believe in him. So they bring in a coach who believes in Tua. And when we saw Tua on the field, he was outstanding. Yeah, but they didn't have Tariq, the kid from Kansas City, the Cheetah. You know, the thing about it is, if you're, believe me, you can have a totally different impression of a quarterback if you bring in world-class speed with Waddle and Hill. You know, and I, I think that's some of the decisions that the team was making about the future of the quarterback before they had the talent in place to provide um, a spark for the quarterback. Because you look at what Tua was able to do in Alabama mm-hmm. when he had all these stars around him, and he was they were all, you know, had – profitable seasons and I think it's the same thing that you could have done with Tua if Brian Flores had a better first impression about him but you're trying to work with receivers that don't have the world-class identities that these guys have now all right so now this is one of those instances where let's bring it back home here and look at the Bears and you look at the passing game struggles and I when I talk about Justin Fields, we'll always say, I, I just think you have to be able to have the operation go faster. There has to be a faster processing speed when it comes to the passing game. And the, the knock on, on my thinking is people will say that, well, look at the receivers he's throwing to. I mean, if you give him the world-class weapons that, say, Tua has in Miami – or that you see in Buffalo with Stefan Diggs and Dawson Knox, then all of a sudden the passing game changes here. Is it that simple? It is if you have the luxury of staying inside the same terminology for multiple years. You know, if you look at Justin over the last probably five years he's played football, he's had change in offensive coordinators and language every single season. And it's impossible, Zach. It is impossible to master the terminology. And I know we, we've seen guys this, for, for example, for this year, Tua with McDaniel in Miami. It's the first year in that system. But to me, in order to get the best out of Justin, Tua is never going to turn into the runner that Justin Fields is. But Justin can turn into the arm-talented quarterback that Tua is. And so I think if you just repeat that same phrase, and you know, Luke Getze, by the time he gets half of the play out of his mouth, Justin knows it, and he knows exactly what every single syllable means in every single word he's saying against every single defense he could possibly see. And that's when you're going to see the best out of the the thrower that Justin can be. Because I, I think, is it fair to say that the goal here would be, can you turn Justin Fields, and he doesn't have to be exactly like these guys, but can you turn him into what the Giants turned Daniel Jones, into what... Josh Allen ultimately has become with the Bills after struggling in the early portion of his career. I do because one thing that Justin Fields has is he's got 
superior long-distance arm talent. And, you know, when we used to sit out there and watch Mitch, and any pass over 25 yards was more likely to be incomplete and out of the realm of possibility of being caught because he was so inaccurate. Justin, that's not something that you coach and teach. It's something that you have or you don't have. He does throw a beautiful deep ball. Beautiful, and that's the thing about it. So you 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 add the element of what you don't have to teach him, and you take all the underneath the uh, the underneath passing game, the intricacies of having a diverse passing attack, but making sure you understand what you see at the line of scrimmage. And that's what I'm saying when you talk about being within the same terminology. If Justin goes through all the OTAs in the preseason, and we get to the regular season. And again, it's the Luke Getzey terminology that now it's starting to become second nature. I think you're going to see his passing ability increase significantly because now it's more of you say the play in the huddle, you say the audible play in the huddle also, you go to the line of scrimmage. Now the defense, they already have a plan of how to make you struggle at the line of scrimmage by moving multiple bodies around. And now you're thinking and you're not just reacting. I think by the time that Justin has complete understanding of the terminology in the system, you're going to see him in control at the line of scrimmage and not the defensive coordinator against him. Can Brock Purdy lead San Francisco to a Super Bowl? And what do you do now if you're the Chargers? We'll discuss next. Zach Zabeman, Tom Thayer with you on the score. We'll let him throw it. Bo Samuel got a block from George Kittle. Bebo Samuel, there he goes! Foot on the gas, all the way! Touchdown San Francisco, a 74-yarder! You're listening to Zach Zaidman and Tom Thayer on Sports Radio 670 The Score and Odyssey Station. We're here until 10 o'clock filling in for Mully and Haw. That was Joe Davis with the call on Fox this weekend. Boy, San Francisco. I know Philadelphia is loaded when Jalen Hurts is healthy. Loaded everywhere on offense. Loaded everywhere on defense. And is the top seed in the NFC. But I don't think they're the best team in the NFC. Tom? San Francisco is something else, even with Brock Purdy as the quarterback. Well, you know, I, I I think, you know, Brock Purdy hasn't played enough where they can leave that whole Mr. Irrelevant behind because, you know, that they're making so much of it just because he is the last player picked in the draft. But he came from a really good college program. He played with a lot of good players. They have a really good head coach. So I think you have to respect your upbringing at this time for what Brock Purdy is doing. So there is, you know... There is no – we were talking about it earlier. If you look at the combine numbers of Tom Brady, then you're going to pick him where you picked him because he doesn't look impressive in shorts and he doesn't look impressive running a 40. But if there was a measuring stick for his mental capabilities in football, then he would have been a top pick in the draft. And that's what Purdy – yeah, you may not look pretty. You may not pass the eye test. You may not get the look of a Josh Allen when you walk into a quarterback room. But that's not what it's about. It's about how can you ingest all that information that you're being fed and then luckily being able to put it to use. And the fortunate thing about him is he was able to build throughout the OTAs, build throughout the early portion of the season, watch multiple quarterbacks use the system, and then sit in the room and listen to the coaches identify the improvement, where the ball is going to go, how to call a play, what it means and all that, and he's capitalizing on it. So I think that San Francisco is no worse of a team with 
Brock Purdy that, than they were with Jimmy Garoppolo. And so I think it's super enco- encouraging to Kyle Shanahan that this guy probably has a quarterback that's going to compete for the future. And I've asked people in San Francisco if they think if Trey Lance will ever take a snap for the 49ers, and some of them said no. I mean, you can't play the position in that system any better than Brock Purdy has played it. He's not had a bad game. Right, but they just had – they 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 – disrespected Garoppolo the whole training camp, making him practice on a field by himself because he couldn't practice. And then they fed everything to Trey Lance. Then he kind of, uh, you know, he he misread a pass, tried to run through the defensive line, got fell on and broke his ankle. And then Garoppolo comes in and kind of saves the day for him. And then there's no bigger savior this year than Purdy. And give former Bears quarterback Brian Greasy a lot of credit. Yeah. He's the quarterback's yep. coach in San Francisco. And you remember, Greasy was the backup here uh, during the good years with Lovey Smith when Rex Grossman uh, helped out good Rex, bad Rex, and they ended up going to the Super Bowl. And Kyle Orton was the quarterback. Orton and Grossman both talked about how Greasy, then as just a, a player, was so vital in the quarterback's room and clearly, he was the guy because you know Shanahan was working with Trey Lance, getting him ready for the season. And then when Garoppolo took over as the starter, he's working with Shanahan. So basically, Purdy was working with Greasy right. in practice in, in in the tape room to try and become the player he ultimately became when he got a chance. Well, you know, you think of every conversation Brian Greasy has ever had in his entire life with his dad when they're talking about football is is experience. It's not something that his dad is a fan of the game of football. You got to be tougher, you got to be stronger, you got to be you no, know, it's all about how to improve your game and what are you seeing on the field and how can I take my examples that I've learned throughout my 60 years of NFL career and and help you develop into the player ultimately you're going to be. And I think if you're if you are a young quarterback like Purdy or Garoppolo or Trey Lance and you don't listen to the advice or just some of the um, kind of corrections at Brian Greasy, you'd be you'd be crazy not to because he's been around the game his whole life. You know, I, I think about your playing career and, and, and some of the, the good quarterbacks that you played with. And, and when Jim McMahon was right, he was a terrific processor of everything that was transpiring. He played with one of the best of all time in Dan Marino. That's, that's the game at that position. You know, one thing, also in the USFL, I played with Doug Williams. You know, Doug Williams went on to win a Super Bowl with the Washington Redskins, was a high draft choice for Tampa Bay when they were suffering as an expansion team. But when you look at the way Doug carried himself onto the practice field and how every, no matter who was coaching him, he was coaching everybody. From the offensive line to the receivers to the tight end to the coach himself and how to call a play during a certain down and distance. So, yeah, I mean, I've had the luxury of being around a guy like Jim McMahon who was raised by Lavelle Edwards at BYU and had more passing experience than anybody he was ever coached by. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's interesting to sit in meetings and you listen to these quarterbacks when they're asked a question or they have a point of interest or they're going to tell a receiver something specifically how a play can be run better or more efficiently, it's it's great experience for all of us, no matter what position you play. All right, give me an idea of what's happening right now in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Behind closed doors, how do you ever recover 
from squandering a 27 nothing lead in a playoff game. When you got a guy like Justin Herbert, you probably got Sean Payton on speed dial. And it's no no offense to Brandon Staley because I like Brandon. I, I think he's a good coach, and I think he uh, – you know, he's got the right attitude. He'll go for it on fourth and one, third and short, and all that type of stuff. But when you stand on the outside and you look at a player with the talents of Justin Herbert, who is delivering the message to Justin Herbert? It's not it's not the head coach because the defensive the head coach is a defensive minded head coach. So are they looking to move on from Brandon to see if he can bring in a guy like Sean Payton? Or is there a young upping up and coming uh, you know, offensive-minded coach that can go and coach Herbert for the next few years. But after a collapse like that, you may, you may need to change the message in the locker room uh, to, you know, help these guys get on track. You know, the, their left tackle got hurt at the beginning of the year. They've had other injuries that has affected this team. The receivers are out for a significant period of time. So... You know, none of that's an excuse, but when you have that type of lead, and, you know, like I'm, a, I'm as football junkie as you can get, whether it's high school, college, or pro, if it's on TV, I'll watch it. And I turned that game off because I got so frustrated and I got bored. And I played with Doug Peterson, so I know Doug well. And I, did, I thought maybe that, that was an unrecoverable, um, you know, hill to, you know, a hill to climb, mm-hmm. but... You see what happened at the end, and you know now Trevor Lawrence is, uh, you know, he's talked about complimentary as much as any of these other young quarterbacks in the league. When you see what Lawrence was able to do, because he looked as bad as a quarterback can look in that right. first half, the ability to come back in the second half and lead that kind of comeback, he played a huge role in that. What does that tell you about him? First of all, it's the message that Doug Peterson – uh, delivered to Lawrence. It wasn't like a woes me, uh, we're, you know, this is unrecoverable. Just stick with the game plan. Stop throwing interceptions. We're in position now that we're going to call these plays and just use the plays like you know how they're supposed to be used. Trust yourself and and put the ball in a position where it's only touchable by an offensive player. And I think Trevor Lawrence, rather than tucking his tail between his legs and, you know, hiding, he put his helmet back on and went out there and listened to the helmet, the play called through his helmet and used exactly what Doug Peterson was seeing. They can't afford to have a half like that next week in Kansas City or (laughs) you can safely turn off the game at at that point. All right, we got to take a timeout. When we come back, what changes now at Hallis Hall with a new president? We'll discuss next. Tom Thayer is here. I'm Zach Zaidman in for Mully and Haw on this Monday morning on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.